Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so happy to be here with you today. We will be taking some advice questions and commemorating important moments in parenting and trying to conceive before we get started. We're going to have a little conversation about the Grief Olympics. Well, I had a good conversation with my husband yesterday about comparative suffering that I thought I would share. We were talking about people on social media who kind of wear us out with, well, I just feel the most sorry for the seniors because they've they're going through the worst experience of this when clearly <laughs> probably not true that people actually infected with the virus or losing loved ones are having a tougher time. And I said, I think that this comparative suffering conversation, you know, Brene Brown did a really good episode on her her new podcast about it. To me, it's like the comparative suffering is about your own personal feelings and that it is not helpful to shame yourself for feeling sad or grief or loss over an experience related to the pandemic. But the public performance of grief to me seems really different and that maybe, you know, there is space for um, some awareness and perspective when we speak publicly about um, what's going on in our lives or what we're missing out on because of uh, COVID-19. It seems like that sort of distinction between, you know, self-compassion and versus self-shame and publicly <laughs> uh, exclaiming about what you're going through, it's, it's getting a little lost. I think it's getting a little lost. Can you say more about that? Um, the, just the idea that when you're you're posting on Facebook, this is the worst, or I'm so sad about this, or I'm missing out on this. Like it, it seems to me to to exceed the idea that you know every loss is a loss, and I think that's absolutely true. But to me, the the idea about comparative suffering is you don't want to shame yourself. You want to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. That does not mean that you need to post about it publicly and talk about it publicly all the time, because there are people who are going to read that um, who are going through things that are tougher than what you're going through. And it's like we have I don't know sometimes if we miss the distinction between feeling your feelings privately and feeling your feelings publicly. Mm. That makes sense to me. I have a reaction to the seniors in high school aspect of things that's a little bit different. But I think aligned with what you're saying to me I feel very differently about parents of seniors um, talking about this versus seniors themselves 
versus random people who've just decided to make this a cause. Um, in part because I think I, I'm okay with someone feeling their feelings even on Facebook. I mean, people just have different needs, right? I'm not a feel my feelings on Facebook person, but there are people for whom that space is where they work through some things, and I make no judgment about that. So if I read a post from a parent about dealing with a child who is going through their senior year right now and all the feelings of loss that accompany that, I, I totally get it. Um, if I read a senior talking about this themselves, I think that's great. It is more the people who sort of appropriate that experience and want to like have a whole thing around it to show how compassionate they are that kind of drive me crazy, in part because I think the best thing I can do as someone who is neither a parent of a senior nor a, a senior myself is to say, I hate that. I hate that. That's got to be hard privately to think about private ways to celebrate people who are in those spaces more publicly to be sharing the the message that like this really sucks and also life is really good after high school like i'm i'm kind of worried that this public conversation about graduating seniors makes it sound like the rest of life is downhill from here and it is not it gets so much better you guys (laughs) like high school is fine but the things ahead of high school are going to be really really wonderful And hard and strange and much harder than what you've done so far in many ways, but also the high highs outside of high school are going to be even better than what you've experienced so far, too. And so that doesn't mean don't be sad. Be sad. These are real things that you won't get a chance to experience again, and that sucks. Plus, the things ahead are so much more fun than prom, I can't even tell you. Well, if high school is your zenith, this is a problem, right? Because you got a lot of life left after high school. I mean, I think the problem with saying, or not that there's a problem. I think that what I would say about the people who it's a part of their process to feel publicly, cool, listen, I'm a public feeler, but do not be surprised when people clap back at you. You know, like the 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 issue with feeling publicly on social media is that those people also seem to be the most sensitive <laughs> to criticism from the people they are sharing their feelings with, right? Like, you can feel publicly. You can absolutely feel publicly. But if someone says, how selfish of you, some people are dying, of course, missing out on prom is not the worst thing that happens to a person. You can't be surprised or upset about it. I mean, you, you can. You've got a constitutional right, I guess, to feel however you want to feel. Not really. But... um I think it's just become this space where it's not the suffering Olympics means that there's no place for perspective, especially if you are, again, feeling your big feelings in public. Well, you know, that's not really the case. That's not how social media works. The social aspect of it means you can absolutely feel your feelings on there. You also should probably be prepared for people to have uh, some feelings in response to that. That makes sense to me. I mean, I definitely have gone through a lot of should this exist anymore (laughs) during this crisis because I have been so sensitive to the folks in my life who I typically view as abundantly reasonable and kind posting some things that I vehemently disagree with about the way that our governor has handled this, for example. 
And I've had moments where I've thought, you know what? This is just a window into you that I shouldn't have. I should just close the <laughs> curtains here. Life was Listen, better I've when I did that, not have though. this window into you. I've said this to my husband. People have always been ignorant and petty and vindictive and unkind and overly critical. They just did it in the privacy of their own homes. And was that all bad? Was it all bad when we could just exercise that with the people who are sort of legally obligated to love and believe in us? <laughs> I'm not sure it was. I'm sure I'm not sure the kitchen table wasn't a better place for some of this stuff. Well, I think you're right that it is important both to not do the grief Olympics. It's the ranking that is the, mm-hmm. the, the struggle, both in the sharing and in the receiving, right? So you don't need to just randomly pop on someone's post about sad seniors and be like, perspective, everybody, here's what else is going on in the world. And when you're sharing about it, you don't need to say, and by the way, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> like both of those places, not super helpful. And we just, we got to pull back the the needs on both ends, I think, to rank. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Are you looking for the perfect gift for mom or another loved one? I feel like Mother's Day can be so hard because you really want to do something personal and kind and unique and not the same thing that you've done five times that worked really well. It's very tricky. Nowadays, staying in touch with those we love is more important than ever. And the easiest way to do it is with Skylight, a photo frame you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. A great way to feel close to those you love even when you're separated. Multiple people can send photos to the frame, so it's a great way to keep large network of friends and families in touch. It sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. Just plug in, use the touch screen to connect your wireless network, and enjoy. Sending photos to Skylight is effortless. Everyone in your family can just email photos to bomb Skylight and they'll pop up in our home in seconds. It has a black frame, so it looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touch screen. You can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent a photo. 100% satisfaction is guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. And I sent one to my sister, who is going to be a mom for the first time this year, and to my mother for Mother's Day. And I love now that the whole family has it, so we can just be in this habit of sending each other photos, tapping the heart to let them know we got them, and keeping up with how everybody's doing and growing, even as we aren't able to spend time together in person. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code LIFE. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code LIFE. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com, code LIFE. got a very important update, commemoration, and advice question from Bethany. She wrote us about eight months ago, 
And when she last wrote us, she was marking her first mole-free therapy anniversary shortly after experiencing her third miscarriage. So March 23rd was the second year anniversary of that first time she heard the words, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat. Well, last week, I should have delivered a baby from that third pregnancy, and those due dates are particularly hard. We are so happy to report that Bethany is now pregnant and just survived her 20-week scan appointment without a single support person, and FaceTime wasn't working for her husband. So it was scary, but it was huge, and she's very proud of herself, and she is now expecting a healthy baby boy. And she talked about how the month of March represents all the messiness of this journey because she's had two heartbreaks, a little bit of hope, a lot of uncertainty ahead. She knows there are other women in her shoes across the world right now, and she shares this to acknowledge all the complicated feelings pregnancy after loss and during a pandemic bring. So her advice question is about parenting. She says, I love watching you interact with your kids on Instagram stories and how you both talk about parenting. It may have been the hormones, but I cried when Beth shared the story about massaging her daughter's shoulders when she acted out. What are your favorite books or resources on raising kids in a nuanced way? And she also specifically, since she knows she's having a boy, asked for advice on raising tiny feminist boys that protect the rights of people of color, especially any favorite books I have to recommend for boys or that helped me as I raised mine. I'll never forget when I found out my son was a boy. Fun fact, um, I had two different ultrasounds where they told me Griffin was a girl. And my friend Laura said, the world needs the type of boys we raise. So I think that that's what I will say to Bethany for sure. I think the world needs the type of men that feminist moms raise that see life in a nuanced way and understand that their privilege comes with a great amount of responsibility. Uh, What I really try to do more than anything is just put a lot of female voices in their head, read books with female characters and and female protagonist. And, you know, it's still hard, even though I think there's been fantastic movement in the past few years to include more female voices. And I think the other thing I really try to do along those lines is protect their friendships with girls. That also gets harder the older they get. Um, But there's this messaging that boys should play with boys and girls should play with girls. And because they have all brothers and don't have a sister, um, I really try to, to think through that and focus on that with them. It's, it's a big responsibility, and it's it's something I think about a lot, and I, there's not one book or one easy answer. I think it's, it's just an intention that you kind of have to come back and check in on with regularly. I think that's the answer to my favorite resources on parenting, too, because for me, there has not been a parenting book or podcast or author that has taught me as much or informed my parenting as much as my own work on myself has, my work in therapy, my yoga practice, Mm -hmm. um, the books that I read just to educate myself about the world. You know, kids are really the best way to get in touch with all the things about you that are broken. (laughs) And so I try to think a lot about what I'm learning in therapy and what I want to do as a parent, who I want to be in that relationship in order to influence my, my girls and give them permission to be the best versions of themselves. And I think working on yourself is also a way to ensure that you aren't trying to live things out through your kids, which feels to me like maybe the shortest path to relationships that fracture in the long term. Not to say that I'm doing everything right or even close to it. 
but I do feel like I'm aware of my stressors in ways that lead me to make those kinds of decisions. Like I'm going to react differently to my kids because I know right now that I'm in stress and that's not the place I want to be coming from as a parent. Now, I will say this. I don't know if there's a book that really speaks to parenting, just like Beth was saying, like that really just sums it all up for me. There's a lot that I really like, but I will say that there are definitely books that are helpful as far as child development and child care. I am a massive fan of Harvey Karp. I love Happiest Baby on the Block, and I loved Happiest Toddler on the Block as well. I think in those really early phases where they're changing at just a dramatic pace, expertise as far as what they're going through and what they're experiencing and how to deal with that. There's also these really old books from Louise Bates Ames called like your one-year-old, your two-year-old, your three-year-old, and they're really dated, and some of the gender role stuff in particular is uh, a little jarring, but I really like them. Um, I think they're really helpful as far as child development. So, I mean, I think there's just it's it's separating those two out. Like there's no book that's going to help you tackle every parenting situation. But there are definitely areas where expertise is um, needed and wanted as far as babies and particularly toddlers. I'm planning on I've got a, a big, long list I'm working through as I approach the tween and teen years as far as because that's another area I think of really dramatic change that kids go through. And so I think that there are books with regards to that that can be really helpful. Yeah, I co-sign on Harvey Karp. I like those books, too. I found them really helpful. And then the other resource that I think is just not to be overlooked is other people. We spend so much time, like, fighting about what food source an infant has and what sleep method you're using. And I will say that my favorite sleep book is Healthy Sleep, Happy Child. I think it is transformative Mm -hmm. and life-changing. But... But putting aside those like hot button issues, hearing about how other people deal with conflict with their kids is more helpful to me than anything else. Just real yep. families going through real stuff, stuff that sounds silly, but that will work your nerves. And I particularly like it when I find a dad who's willing to talk about that stuff. I think reversing gender roles and how we share those stories is really helpful. Like, I love to hear my friend Brandon talk about parenting because it's just a different thing than hearing from a mom. And I think men who are informed in their parenting by friends who are mothers have a completely different view. And that that's another way that we can kind of enhance the experiences that we bring and the the perspectives that we bring to parenting our kids. One of my favorite books about parenting is All Joy, No Fun. And she does a really good job of getting at that. Like the truth is we put a lot of pressure on mothers. And so because of the societal pressures, there is a lot of insight and a certain kind of expertise that men can offer when you're talking about parenting. And I, you know, I wrote a blog post one time that said I welcome unsolicited advice because I think one of the ways that we put pressure on mothers and it it's particularly insidious and sly because it is sold as a path to empowerment, nobody knows my kid better than I do. But that is an enormous amount of pressure to put on an individual parent. It's sort of a new invention. You never would have heard parents in other points in history imply that there was no expertise to be found around children and that they knew everything there was to know about their kid. And I've just never really connected with why that would be appealing to me, like the idea is, no, there's people people that have lots more information about what my kid is going through right now than I do. I want all the advice from people who have already parented teenagers right now or people who have already tackled 
challenges because kids have a lot more in common than we think we do. And this idea that they are just wholly and completely unique puzzles that only their primary caregiver can unlock sounds like, man, like a really heavy burden to me. So I've always, I'm interested in advice from other generations because I think that's fascinating. And I think that can offer a lot of insight. Definitely want to hear from my friends what they've been through. I always say that my best friend, Elizabeth, um, whose oldest child is much older than mine, like that child, owes, I owe him such a debt because we all worked out like what didn't work on him. So by the time we were all having kids, she'd be like, okay, that tried that, that didn't work. And I just think like that's that's so much easier and feels more achievable than the idea that like I have to be the ultimate expert. Also, if you thought you were the ultimate expert in your kids, I'm imagining that quarantine has changed that for you pretty significantly because being around <laughs> them all day, every day, there's a there are a million things about my kids that I didn't know. And there should be. Word. They should have their own lives and their own space to work things out. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details an experiment with things outside of me. And so I totally agree that relieving that pressure that you need to know your kid best and your kid is so different than every other four-year-old, they're not. Okay? It's going to be fine. I just want to, before we move on, also say I am so happy for Bethany. And also, Mm -hmm. every time we talk about stories like this, I think of Marnie who wrote to us about all the women who have gone through pregnancy loss or infertility and ultimately just do not have children, and it's not where they decided to be in life. And I can imagine that listening to a conversation like the one we just had or like the many conversations that we've had about being at home with our kids is very weird and draws out a lot of feelings if you don't have a child and really wanted one. So I just want to hold space around that as we conclude this section too and wish Bethany such a healthy, happy pregnancy. Um, I think just asking these kinds of questions, you're going to be a fantastic parent. And honestly, like, just use your use your people and your community. Ember Wave is the first bracelet that helps you feel colder or warmer at the press of a button. Ember's lab's mission is to bring thermal wellness to the world. They're passionate about using temperature to help every person feel better physically and emotionally. Temperature is personal. Everyone's idea of comfortable is unique. Most public places heat or cool spaces aiming for a temperature that is comfortable for only 80% of the population, leaving many people thermally underserved. Not feeling thermally comfortable can contribute to the loss of productivity, increased stress levels, and can be mentally exhausting. Ember Wave is there when you need relief most. All you do is press to activate Ember Wave to create a cool or warm sensation on your wrist. It's lovely. The sensation works with your body and mind to make you feel more comfortable in a matter of minutes. Ember Wave provides comfort in unpredictable climates, relief from stress, and support for sleep. Give the gift of thermal comfort this Mother's Day. Take $70 off the Ember Wave now during their site-wide sale. Go to emberwave.com slash life to redeem this offer.
two commemorations to share today also related to parenting. The first is from Rebecca, who was inspired to write after the commemoration on trying to conceive and specifically how the listener shared that taking a step back from something doesn't mean you want it less. She is writing to commemorate going back on birth control while trying to get pregnant. She knows this seems counterintuitive, but has been trying to have a baby for several months. Then she found out her gallbladder needs to be removed. She writes, in my case, it's not an emergency, but I was advised to get it taken care of prior to becoming pregnant. While it's certainly possible to have this operation done while pregnant or for me to even try to wait until after I have a baby to get this taken care of, my husband and I both decided it would be better to hold off on trying until I get it taken care of. This past week, I started birth control again, knowing I want another baby. What a weird place to be. We had been trying long enough for both of us to already be getting impatient, and now another few months of delay to the growth of our family feels like a real bummer to say the least. The day I started my birth control again, I felt so sad knowing our plans and attempts at family expansion were officially on hold. But I am so thankful to be able to get this taken care of with good insurance, stable jobs that will allow me to take some time off of work and supportive family who will help me with my children while I recover from surgery. I am thankful that I will be in better health when we are able to try to conceive again and that I won't have to live with a nagging pain in my abdomen that I've just dealt with for over three years. I'm thankful for my husband, who is a true partner in all of this and in no way makes me feel like my body is failing us, something I have often thought. And she says she knows this is just part of their story and minor to compare to struggles other people face, but she wanted to really lean into those feelings and mark this occasion, not only with this message, but also with a cake. And Rebecca, let me validate the cake as a marker. Well done. Good choice. Well, and also, let me just say, if your gallbladder is struggling, then for sure this is the right call because pregnancy will just accelerate any struggles that your body is going on. It's really, really hard on your body. You know this. You've already had children. And so I think that's definitely the right call to get that taken care of because you don't want to like what if she has really bad morning sickness next time? And on top of that, to have all the nausea from a gallbladder issue. No, 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 no. You also just don't need anything that makes you think, well, wait, now what is that? Because you've got enough mm-hmm. of that going on. You know, it kind of feels like your body's been taken over by an alien life force for a while. And so you just don't want to be like constantly saying, well, is that my gallbladder or is it something else? We also had a commemoration from Jane. She says, I want to start my commemoration at the point where I told my husband I wanted to try IVF. I'm very proud of myself for working up the courage to have the discussion and keeping a commitment to myself to talk about a topic that was devastating me. I commemorate our first IVF appointment when I didn't relax until the doctor dropped a curse word several minutes into the appointment. And now in the parking lot afterwards, I burst into tears when my husband asked some completely appropriate and innocuous question. We've completed a cycle of IVF using my own eggs, but we did not get pregnant. I was sad but our doctor has been honest with us all along. Our odds of having a baby with my 42-year-old eggs were only 12%. 12% is a long way from zero, though. I want to commemorate the cycle that we had the courage to go through the testing, that my husband showed up for every appointment, and that we didn't quit on the day we learned we only had one egg, but instead gave that egg every chance possible. From the beginning, the doctor told us that using eggs donated from a younger woman is more assured route. I commemorate the amazing technology that allows the eggs from a different woman to be combined with my husband's sperm and transferred to my uterus. How incredible that my 40-something body can safely grow a human being. We are now in our second cycle of a shared risk program. In our first cycle, all three embryos are rested on day four. I'm still scared that I will not be a mother. But with help from a wonderful counselor, I'm focusing on being inviting and welcoming. Our next planned transfer is eight days away. I commemorate all that I have learned from a complicated process and how hard I have worked. I give myself grace for my complex feelings, regret in learning that if we had tried 
IVF when we first married, I likely would have had my own genetic child. Joy that our child will have my husband's genes. Happiness that I got to experience pregnancy. A sense of shame for making a child a priority at my age. Appreciation for my husband's willingness and commitment in going through this process. Gratitude for the scientific and technological advances that make this possible. Deep thankfulness and humility when I think of the women who undergo shots and discomfort to share a piece of themselves with the rest of us, especially the smart, beautiful, talented donor we selected. And of course, the joy I'm so hopeful for that I can't quite look at directly. Delight at the thought of holding and loving my child. I think that's beautifully said, Jane. I'm so glad that you shared it with us. I think you've captured in words experiences that I've heard from other people and captured it really succinctly. And sometimes just hearing somebody else name the mix of feelings that you're going through makes such a powerful difference for them. So I hope that it both felt really cathartic to share that. And I know that many people are going to receive it in a way that's life-giving for them. The way she articulates all those emotions and is able to name them and list them and really put beautiful words to even the most difficult of the emotions that she's experiencing to me just says like she is well advanced on this journey and has a level of sort of self-awareness and self-compassion that is really admirable. And so I hope that the journey continues to be one that you have good support around, that you feel really good about in the process that you and your partner are right there together in it. And we will look forward to hearing from you in a few months to see how things are going. Please let us know. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We will be back in your ears on Friday over at Pantsuit Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.